I'd invite you this morning to take a Bible. Turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. We are going through the scripture this year, uh, beginning back in October, the story that changes everything. We find ourselves in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 today, and I'm going to invite you to remain seated this morning rather than stand for the scripture, um, because what I really want to do is read all of chapter 5, 6, and 7 to you today, but uh, by the time we got done with that, the nursery workers will be revolting. Um, and so I'm going to I'm going to read some excerpts from chapters 5 through 7, and so follow along with me. I'm going to begin at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. When all of Solomon's work on the Lord's temple was finished, he brought the silver, gold, and all the objects his father David had dedicated and put them in the treasuries of God's temple. Then Solomon assembled Israel's elders, all the tribal leaders, and the clan chieftains of Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the chest containing the Lord's covenant from Zion David's city. And now let's go to verse 11. Then the priests left the holy place. All the priests who were present had sanctified themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levitical musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jedithan, and their families and relatives were dressed in fine linen and stood east of the altar with cymbals, harps, and zithers, along with 120 priests blowing trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined together to praise and thank the Lord as one, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other musical instruments. They began to sing, praising the Lord. Yes, God is good. Yes, God's faithful love lasts forever. Then a cloud filled the Lord's temple. The priests were unable to carry out their duties on account of the cloud because the Lord's glory filled God's temple. Then Solomon said, the Lord said that he would live in a dark cloud, but God, I have built you a lofty temple, a place where you can live forever. And then we'll go to verse 18. But how could God possibly live on earth with people? If heaven, even the highest heaven, can't contain you, how can this temple that I have built contain you? Lord, my God, listen to your servant's prayer and request and hear the cry and prayer that I, your servant, pray to you. Constantly watch over this temple, the place where you promised to put your name, and listen to the prayer your servant is praying concerning this place. Listen to the request of your servant and your people, Israel, when they pray concerning this place. Listen from your heavenly dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And now to verse 40. Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers of this place. And now go, Lord God, to your resting place, you and your mighty chest. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May those loyal to you rejoice in what is good. Lord God, don't reject your anointed one. Remember your faithful loyalty to your servant David. As soon as Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the entirely burned offering and the sacrifices while the Lord's glory filled the temple. Again, the priests weren't able to enter the Lord's temple because the Lord's glory had filled the Lord's temple. And all the Israelites were watching when the fire fell. As the Lord's glory filled the temple, they knelt down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, worshiping and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, yes, God is good. And yes, God's faithful love lasts forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now this morning, I, I know that I've already set myself up for a major disappointment. Um, I, I've shared with you before, some weeks, uh, almost every week, um, I have this kind of afternoon depression that happens on Sunday afternoon. 
Because part of the beauty of getting to preach is you kind of hang with the text until you feel like you have something from God to say, and then you sometimes just don't feel like, oh, I, I didn't say it well. I, I, didn't, I didn't get everything I wanted out. And today, I just know it's going to happen because I feel so deeply about what I want to say today that I know that I'm not going to do it at the level in which I just, if we could just connect our hearts, <laughs> it would be great. But this morning, I want to redeem two entire books of the Bible for us. Um, I find myself at times championing the underdog texts in the Bible, but also championing underdog books. For example, probably the book that I've preached out of more than any other book in the Bible is the Gospel of Mark. And part of that, I think, is because I love it so deeply, but part of it is because of the four Gospels, it's the one people have ignored most. And it's all St. Augustine's fault. He once said that he thought Mark was just a kind of condensed version of Matthew, which meant people read Matthew and then skipped right on over to Luke because they'd already read the expanded version. But a few decades ago, scholars kind of rethought that and think now Mark is the, maybe the first of the Gospels written. And so there's been a lot of attention paid to it, but I have loved that. But one of the things I love when we think about the Gospels is the way that they tell the same story of Jesus, but they tell that story from various perspectives. And part of the beauty of the Gospels is we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's perspective that gives this full, beautiful picture of who Jesus is. In some ways, that has happened with Chronicles. And that this morning, I am on a mission to recover Chronicles. Not the ones of Narnia. This one here in the Bible. That one's doing fine. This one's having some struggles. A case could be made. That Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, are the most underread texts in all of the Bible. And the reason for that is, well, it doesn't help that the Chroniclers took the first nine chapters and just gave a whole list of names. So you start reading Chronicles and it feels like you're doing devotions out of a phone book. <laughs> which when I wrote that line this week, I realized that line's not going to last very much longer because this generation doesn't know what a phone book is. But... Um, but so part of it's the fault of the chronicler, but, but we kind of don't pay attention to it. Um, around here, the text that Pastor Brent read for us today, the call to worship is out of what's called the lectionary. And the whole idea of the lectionary is that if you come to church for three years, you should have heard almost all of scripture read in the worship. And here's the thing. So, so all these texts kind of get used around. There is only one text, Brent. And I blame you kind of for this. There's only one text in all of First and Second Chronicles that makes it into that three-year cycle. So when we say you hear almost all the scripture, we mean all the scripture except for Chronicles. <laughs> the one text people kind of know from Chronicles is in this neighborhood, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It goes like this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will uh, forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It's a text we usually preach on the 4th of July and take it out of context. So I, I'm going to leave that there. But, um, <laughs> but the other problem with Chronicles is almost every story Chronicle tells, we've already heard in either First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings. And not only that, when he retells it, or they retell it, they take out all the juicy parts. All the really, you know, sinful ha 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 parts of first and second Samuel, first and Kings just get completely left out of the chronicler. 
And so this morning, I want to advocate for this underdog set of books um, a bit today. I want to think about their uniqueness, and I want, to, I want to tell you what I think the Message Chronicles gives to us that was important then, but I, I feel so deeply today how important that message is for this moment. So quickly, part of the, the, the last problem with Chronicles is actually where we've put it in the Old Testament. Not, not to get too complicated here, but in our English versions of the Old Testament, we have organized the books of the Old Testament, the 39 books. We've ordered them into four, maybe five sections. The four or five sections that we put them in, in the English Bible go like this, the Torah or the law, the first five books. Then we put the historical books all together. It's kind of why we get First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then we put First and Second Chronicles, and then we're going to go to Ezra and Nehemiah because we're kind of telling all, putting all the historical books together. You with me? And then we go to the wisdom literature: Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then we put the prophets, and you might divide them into two: major prophets and minor, which doesn't mean they're more important than the others. It just means some are really long and some are not very long. In the Hebrew Bible what's called the Tanakh, and it's called the Tanakh because it's a T and an N and a K put together. The Tanakh is divided into three sections. T for Torah, so same with us, first five books of the Bible. But then you get the second section, you get the Nevi'im, which is the prophets. And then you get a third section, the Ketuvim, which are the writings. Now I know I've already kind of lost you, but here's the key point. First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings in the Hebrew Bible show up in the section called the Prophets, but Chronicles shows up in what's called the Writings. And the reason why that's important this morning is because it might tell us something about what First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings are trying to do that's a bit different than what Chronicles is trying to do. And the main reason I would argue that 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings make it into the prophets is because they are telling this history with a prophetic pair of glasses on when they tell it. But Chronicles has a different lens. So if I haven't lost you yet, which is possible, I want to really quickly walk you through. Imagine this platform up here is a timeline of Israel's history. So out there in the atrium, um, that's creation, way out there in history. Creation, fall, um, Cain killing Abel, Noah, Tower of Babel, all that stuff's out here. Out here at the kind of the beginning of Israel's unique history is the call of Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah, and then we get their generations, you know, we get Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and we get all of the rest of Genesis. And then you know the story, there's some centuries to where we get to a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph and the people. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but they end up in, in, in exile. I'm in slavery and bondage. There's this wonderful book you should look at it sometime called Exodus. Actually, I've already lied this morning, haven't I, in the message. I preach a lot out of Mark, but yeah, Exodus shows up most. Um, we get this wonderful book, Exodus. Moses shows up, delivers them out of bondage. They end up in the wilderness, and we've talked about those moments where God is shaping them during those 40 years in the wilderness. But eventually then Joshua gets handed the baton and Joshua leads them into the land. And they have these books like Joshua and Judges where now they're trying to take hold of the land and conquer the land and have peace in this land that God has promised to them. 
And they have this period where they have judges that kind of lead them. But then a really important text in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, they come and say, we want a king, Samuel, so we can be like all the other nations. God's not really happy about that, but he gives them a king. The reason I'm going to stay right here at the podium in the middle is because without question, the high point of Israel's history is in that first three kingships. Maybe not so much Saul. We'll put him over here. But certainly David and Solomon become the high point. David, hard after God, kind of a warrior king who is able to expand the territory, bring peace. But then Solomon, who's able to capitalize on that peace and finish the temple and have this period of kind of wisdom and thinking about all that God wants us to be. This is the high point of Israel's history. But after Solomon's reign, the nation divides in two. We'll think of these two tribes as the south, Judah and Benjamin, capital city of Jerusalem, 10 tribes in the north we think of as Ephraim or Israel. If we step forward just a couple of centuries to 721, a nation called Assyria comes and conquers these 10 tribes and essentially eliminates them. Jerusalem is able to hang on, and Judah is able to hang on for about a century and a half until in, uh, what's my date? 587 BC. 587, that was on the test, and I almost missed it. 587, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and as we've talked about, like the story of Jonah, swallows up the people into exile. And honestly, this is where this story should finish. But amazingly, about 50 years later, Cyrus the Persian comes and lets the people go back home. And that's where we're going to get to Ezra and Nehemiah and the attempt to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. But after they rebuild this temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed, it's not nearly as nice as the one Solomon built. And the life that they have together is a life, but it's not nearly what they used to have back here in the reign of David and Solomon. Now, here's why that's important. It's about here that we think the books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings originate. This is a time where there's all kinds of prophets, all those books in the prophetic tradition, almost all of them emerge about right here in this timeline where kings are kind of a problem, the people are going astray, and you need prophets who come along and say, get your act together. Follow God, get your heart right. Like, yeah, the prophets that come along. And here's what happens. That prophetic tradition then retells this history, but it tells it this way. Yeah, this was a great time period. Saul and David were great, but let's not forget, David was an adulterer and a murderer. And let's not forget, Solomon conscripted slave labor to not only build his own house, but to build God's house. He raised taxes too high. I mean, they were great, yes, but there's also a prophetic way to understand their lives. We just went through that with Samuel and Kings. Are you with me? And that prophetic tradition then says, beware, because if we fall into the same traps they fell into, our life will fall apart in the way they have set this trajectory of everything falling apart. But Chronicles, we think, gets written out here. And I'm going to step into the shadow, and I'm sorry, camera operators, but we think that Chronicles happens and is written out here. And it looks back at that history, 
And it's interesting, the chronicler will say, listen, if you want to know the other parts of history, you can go read those books. But I want to remind you, especially in this time period, there were some really good moments. And David and Solomon may have been weasels at times, but there were also moments when David had a heart after God. And David unified the people in worship. And yeah, Solomon, he got a little money obsessed and he let his desires and appetites lead him and the people astray. But there are also some amazing moments with Solomon where he captured the spirit of what God was doing in the moment. And he longed to see the wisdom of God break out in his own life and the life of others. And so in other words, there are moments where we tell prophetic history to say, let's pay attention to this isn't everything it was cracked up to be. But there are also moments where we say, listen, desperate people who aren't sure that you have a future and aren't sure anything's going to be the way that it was before. Let Let me remind you of something. God is good and God's steadfast love lasts forever. And this isn't my moment to tell you how rotten they were. This is my moment to remind you how good God was in their lives so that you will then hope again that God may be good to your life as well. Did you follow that? I know that was complicated, but it was really good. (sighs) I'm still going to feel bad this afternoon. But there are two or three things I think the chronicler cares about most. And I want to try to, out of this text today, get you to care about it most too. The chronicler is obsessed with David and Solomon. And in Second Chronicles then begins to talk about some of the other Judean kings, some who are great, some not so great. But David and Solomon set the pattern And in walking through Chronicles this time, I've realized how deeply the chroniclers so want there to be a new generation of Davids and Solomons who have a passion and concern and a heart to lead God's people. I have to tell you how deeply concerned I am about that. The next couple of weeks, uh, Noah is going to preach next week and Ashley's going to preach the week after that. And partly that's because I'm teaching graduate preaching right now and they're in the class with me and they have to preach somewhere. And I thought, well, here would be good. But I love, and I know some interns are going to lead us in worship this month and that kind of stuff. I, I love that we get to be a church that responds to young people and, uh, and middle-aged people who have a call to ministry and, and get to, and you are so kind and compassionate, although next week we're going to pass, I was going to say we're going to pass out sheets and you get to give Noah a grade, uh, but we won't do that. Um, but we are at a moment where we are so good and rightly so at, contr- at critiquing the failures 
of the church. And please don't mishear me today. There are a lot to critique. And we have a lot of sin to confess. And we need the prophetic voices of Samuel and Kings to say, there are traps that all who lead God's people can fall into and lead God's people astray. And please pay attention to those. But we also need the voice of the chronicler that says, yes, God is good. And yes, God's steadfast love lasts forever. And yes, God can take us fragile, broken people and can do amazing things through us if we lean into what God is doing. And I mean that for like these young people, we need a generation of young people who care about Christ, who care about the church, who are willing to forsake all in order to follow that call, into, in order to lead, God, lead God's people. And we are desperate for them to come. And we are facing a crisis if they don't hear God's voice and respond. But it's not just folks who have no other marketable skills like me. It's a whole generation of lay people who are passionate about the mission of God in the world and aren't just interested in filling a pew, but are interested in taking all the gifts that God has given to them and using them for the sake of others and for the sake of the kingdom and who follow that passion. And the chronicler knows how flawed David and Solomon are. And if you want to read about that, the chronicler says you can. But there were also moments where God used them in powerful ways and gave them a life of meaning and purpose. And they leaned into that. And the chronicler is desperate for a new generation of Judeans to lean into that too. And we are in a moment where taking shots at the church has gotten a little too easy while still necessary. But it doesn't do away with the desperate need that we have for a generation of Solomons and Davids to hear the call of God and to respond. And there's something so cool. The other thing the chronicler cares about, he cares about the kingship, but he also, oh, he cares about the temple. A little too much between you and me. There's something so powerful, he feels like, for the temple to be restored. But, but rather than focusing on the building, the reason I wanted to read all three chapters today is because when the chronicler thinks of the temple, it's not so much the building that the chronicler cares about. It's those moments where God showed up at the temple that the chronicler cares about. So this moment where the cloud fills the temple and the priest can't even get in or the fire falls and the priest can't even get in, that God has shown up. I need you to listen faster, but, but if you have your Bible, the section I, I, I really wanted to talk about too today is all of chapter 6. Solomon prays this amazing prayer where he says, this house, God, is going to be a place where you hear the cries of the people. And this is verse 22. So that if someone wrongs another you will hear their cry for repentance. Or verse 24, if your people Israel are defeated and down and discouraged because they've been defeated by an enemy, you will hear them and you will restore them. Or verse 28, whenever there's a famine in the land. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed one. Verse 26, when the sky holds back its rain, you will hear their cries and meet their needs. Verse 28, when there's Amen. When there's a plague in the land and a major disruption happens to everybody's life and nobody knows what to do next, 
you'll hear their prayer. And you'll bring something new. And I love verse 32. When the foreigner and the stranger and the sojourner and the alien who doesn't even know what's going on somehow stumbles into the temple and realizes there's a presence here that might meet my need too. When the foreigner, the sojourner, the alien, the wanderer lifts their prayer, you will hear from heaven and you will respond to them even though they don't know how to pray rightly. And 34, when violence racks God's people and war is all around, you will hear their cry and bring peace. In verse 36, when they sin against you, and I love this section because basically Solomon, the chronicler is putting words in Solomon's mouth to narrate what these people have just been through. When they sin and they're pulled into exile and they think they have no future and the best days of the people of God are past and not ahead of them that you will meet them and then you'll come to them and you will empower them and you will hear their prayer. So what Solomon cares about is people who respond to that voice and live into the best parts of what God wants to do to them and through them, but also that we become a kind of people gathered together. The building's nice, but what matters is that when we gather together, our prayers are heard by God and he moves and the cloud fills the temple and the fire falls. Ah. You're not very excited about that. That was really good though. I think about that in, um, in the light of this month. I, I know that there's so much tension these days culturally around how we tell our story. I'm excited for many of the events this week, this month, the Black History Month. Please hear me say this. Part of what we do in these kinds of months and moments is we tell our history prophetically. And there is so absolutely a place for Solomon, sorry, for Samuel and Kings in in the canon for us to wrestle with how broken so much of that history is. And that brokenness is not just out there, but it's here in the church. And there's so much for us to confess and acknowledge ways that we have added to the division rather than bringing healing. And there's so much that's important in that history, but there is also the voice of the chronicler that says, in the midst of all that brokenness, there were moments in which God brought reconciliation and don't overlook them. And remember them. And remember when the fire fell and unity came. Remember when the clouds showed up and the walls came down. And remember when God answered prayers of reconciliation. And and don't get so discouraged that you forget that God is good and his steadfast love lasts forever. And I guess my passion this morning is please hear me say again, we so desperately need a generation of Samuels and Kings to come along, the deuterohistoric tradition to come along and read our lives prophetically and remind us that David and Solomon were a wreck at times. 
But we also need the voice of the chronicler to say, but God was not absent in their lives. And even in the midst of the mess, God brought about redemption and goodness in moments where the fire fell. And God can do that again. So don't get so discouraged with the prophetic understanding of our brokenness that we can't believe that God is good and his steadfast love lasts forever. And that the same God who brought redemption then and now can bring redemption to these post-exilic Judeans hoping that this shadow of a temple might have some meaning in the future and this king that has absolutely no power somehow might be the source for God to do something new in the world. And let me close by saying we know they did because, and here's the thing, Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible is the last book because it sets up this hope that the glory of God that filled the temple for Solomon might come and fill it again. And the reason why it's so important and it ought to be the last book of the Bible is because then we can enter into the gospels and realize, oh, God honored that prayer. The glory of God returned to the temple. It's called Palm Sunday. And not everybody had the eyes to see the glory of God return to God's house. And when that glory returned, Jesus stood and said, this house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. It's not the edifice that matters. It's not the structure that matters. What matters is that heaven and earth have connected together and that the power of God is being poured out on all flesh. And I think even in Luke's way of telling the story, for Luke, the fire that the post-exilic Judeans wanted to have fall again fell, we call it the day of Pentecost. Where people were empowered and transformed to be what God had called them to be to be the body of Christ in the world. As we close this morning, we gather around a table. And I'm gonna be depressed this afternoon, but if you've listened well, even in what we're about to do, these two voices come together. Because as we, in just a moment, hold broken body and shed blood in our hands. Those elements are always prophetic. They are a reminder that we have crucified Christ. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those elements speak prophetically to us. But those elements also speak a word of hope to us. That sin doesn't get the last word. And that darkness doesn't get the last word. And that evil doesn't get the last word. And that not even today, not even death gets the last word. But yes, God is good. And yes, God's steadfast love lasts forever. And in these elements, the prophetic voice that exposes our sin speaks to us, but the word of grace that invites us to be more than we could ever be without him speaks and calls to us today too. To dare to lead, to dare to trust that God hears our prayers and makes a difference.
God, help us today. As we receive this word today, as we struggle in what feels like the shadow of the temple, in what used to be, as we struggle um, with what feels like a crisis of leadership moving into the future. With what feels like a faith that is running on inertia without the fuel of the Spirit empowering it. We pray that you would meet us in this meal. Meet us with words of prophetic judgment and meet us with words of transforming grace. For you are good and your steadfast love lasts forever. I'm gonna invite those who are going to come and help me serve this morning to help. Um, if you would do us a favor, if you'd hold on to the elements, we'll eat this meal together. Um, if you need special help, um, we have some elements that are easier to handle. If you'll just stick up your hand, folks will come and, and help you as well.
where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence Lord oh we say Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory hold the elements out in front of you. Let me pray a prayer of blessing. Almighty God, we hold in our hands just very common things, bread and cup, but reminders of something so uncommon that you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. And so we invite you to come today and to make these common things holy. Make them be for us the body of Christ. But our deeper prayer is that you would take us, 
common people, broken, flawed, in such deep need of prophetic readings of our lives, but also people called by you, who in your hands can be shaped and formed to be instruments of your grace and peace in the world. And so we offer ourselves to you today. Like you broke these elements, break us for the sake of the world. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, he lifted it, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Let us take, let us eat today in remembrance of him. When supper was over, he took the cup, blessed it. He said, this is my blood which is poured out for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink in remembrance of him. May it be so. May we be the body of Christ for the sake of the world. God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. i
Amen. Well, um, if you've listened well today, uh, I do feel like there's a tension both in the world and in our life together. There are folks who rightly know it's time for a prophetic reading of our lives. And there are folks who want to remind us of the hope that we have because God goes into the future with us. And please hear me today. I am so thankful that our canon includes First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and includes First and Second Chronicles. And one last thought. When God shows up, God is so unbelievably creative that when God shows up and calls a new generation of Davids and Solomons, they so don't look like David and Solomon. In fact, this is part of Peter's problem on the day of Pentecost. He says, oh my word, the Spirit of God just showed up. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Old people will get in on this. And young people too. In fact, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think part of our crisis of leadership in the people of God is that the creative God is calling voices we're not used to him calling. And so please, if you sense God calling you, oh, begin to walk with that voice and respond to that voice. And then when God shows up, he always does such creative things. In the end, he doesn't really even need the temple building to form a temple, for he has formed that in us a people empowered by a spirit. So may that same creative, dynamic God who is good and whose steadfast love lasts forever, may that same God of peace sanctify you and me through and through. And may our whole spirit, our souls, our bodies, may they be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who called us, he is faithful. And he will not stop. Not in exile, not in post-exile, not in 2023. He will not stop until he has finished his work in us. And all God's people said, amen. Go in his peace.